season, no matter what it looks like, your saints will not live in chaos, but you always bring everything back into order, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right. Amen. I'm going to get right into it today. We know what time it is. We know uh, what day it is. So this is Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. It says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, has, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen. So happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Happy Hope Day. Happy Death of Death Day. Happy the Lamb went in and the Lion came out day. And happy nothing can separate us from the love of God day. What an amazing day. What an amazing time to celebrate. Uh, even though we're not in the same building together, I feel your presence. Hopefully you feel mine and uh, we all feel the presence of the Lord. So today I'm not actually going to be uh, reading much or talking much about the resurrection stories that I think are uh, in many ways familiar to a lot of us, but I want to encourage you all to read the last few chapters of all four of the Gospels and uh, read it for yourself. Uh, I figure what I can do quickly is, is give you a little bit of a overview and pick up from where we left off this Friday night. We had our Good Friday service, and we ended off on Friday night with uh, Jesus on the cross. He says, it is finished. 
He breathes his last. He gives his spirit up to the Lord. And some of the things that began to happen uh, as he's on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and says, let me have his body. He's able to take his body down, wrap it, anoint it, put it into a tomb. That's why the scripture in Isaiah 53 says that uh, uh, his grave was, was made with the sinners, but with the rich at his death. After that, uh, on, uh, on the Sunday morning early, the women come to the tube to anoint Jesus' body, and they find that he's not there. The scriptures tell us that uh, there's angels, right, and that and, uh, there's an earthquake, and Jesus actually appears to some of the women. Uh, after that, we see that, that Jesus is, is gone and appears to these two men on the road to Arimathea, or excuse me, on the road to Emmaus. Uh, what else happens? Jesus appears to the disciples. Before that happens, uh, John and Peter go running to the tomb. And they look in and he's not there. They go back and gather. Jesus appears to the disciples and speaks to them. All of them are there except for Thomas. Eight days later, it says that Jesus appears again in this upper room. Uh, this is all after his resurrection. And then Thomas is there and he says, stick your hand here. Feel my side, Thomas. Don't be unbelieving. It says that Jesus uh, spends time and he eats with his disciples. All these things are happening uh, in the last couple of chapters of, of our Gospels. So many good things, so many things that we can learn, so many things that are uh, just spirit-filled. So I just encourage you again, go and seek him. He says if you seek him, you'll find him. But again, this morning, I want to do something different as I look at the scriptures and, and share with you all. So there's a professor of divinity at Cambridge in the late 1800s. His name was Westcott, and he's writing about the canon of the scriptures, how it came together. Uh, and he said something that really stood out to me. He's talking about the teaching that was available uh, in Jerusalem during that moment surrounding the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this is what he said. He said, it was natural that a break should intervene between the inspired scriptures and the spontaneous literature of Christianity, between the teaching of the apostles and the teaching of philosophers. But it was no less natural that the interval should not be one of total silence. Some echoes of the last age still lived and some echoes of the next already found expression. So the idea here is that after the resurrection, there were the voices of the church from before Jesus that still lived on. They still had influence, right? There were the voices of the believers and the leaders that were trying to work out this new life in Christ, how that should look. These pockets of believers are popping up and they're trying to figure out how do we do this? How do we live this this new life? How do we follow what Jesus told us? And then you also have the voices of the apostles who are spirit filled and they're writing down the actual scriptures that are eventually going to make up the whole of the Bible that we have. So Westcott's talking about all these different voices and how they're overlapping with each other, the past, the present and the future. That process that the scriptures went through to establish what we know as the true and full word of God. And that same time, the process that saw these other teachings and these other voices uh, begin to fade away, that process, how God did that is really important. Easter is the moment when the eternal past and the present and the future converge. It's not just the history of a people, the history of a nation, uh, the history of an era, but Easter is where the past, present, and future of mankind, the past, present, and future of existence itself uh, converge. 
On Good Friday, we looked back at the Exodus from Egypt and this first Passover, and we saw how the Lord told Moses that that, that moment would be the beginning of the Israelite year, the beginning of the Israelite month, um, and it was somehow starting over for them. Time itself was starting over for them. It was Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Everything before this happened, it still existed. And everything after it, though, would be seen and considered as if it was beyond or greater than what had happened before. Specifically for the children of God, right? God tells them, listen, time's going to go on for everybody else. It's going to keep on ticking. The months are going to keep on rolling. But something new is going to happen for you. And it's going to start over. It's going to be greater than, above, beyond what others are experiencing. Likewise... We heard Jesus say this on Thursday night at Passover. He had this communion time with his disciples, and he said that this blood was the blood of the new covenant. Luke twenty-two twenty. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So Jesus is having communion before the crucifixion, but he's speaking about his actual blood that's going to be spilled on the cross, how it's going to be shed for us. It's going to mark the transition between something old and something new. Just like the Passover, right? The blood over the doorways, it marked the transition between something old and something new. At the cross and at Easter, we see the old world, the old times, the old reality going away and the new being ushered in. We go from B.C. to A.D. In Revelation 21.5, it says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. In John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, right? It's constantly making this connection back to that Passover, this idea that this is a blood-stained door, and that's how they get saved. And Jesus says, now I am the door. If you enter through me, you will be saved, out of the old and into the new. So just like the many voices disappeared and the many teachings disappeared, and we were left with exactly what God wanted us to have in his holy scripture. My hope this morning is to maybe be able to silence some of the voices, silence some of those fading teachings, some of the popular distractions that actually cloud the truth of Easter so we can have what God really intends for us to have this morning. I hope I can do that by lifting up Jesus rather than putting down anyone or anything else. In John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus says this, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. We know that that's what uh, Easter is about. He was lifted up upon a cross. And since that day, he continues to draw people unto himself. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that just like communion that we get to take over and over again in remembrance of you and what you've done, Lord, that every year we get to celebrate this time of Passover. We get to celebrate this time of Easter, Lord, and remember what it is that you've done for us. I pray right now, Lord, that you would help me and that you would help those who are here, that you would help those who are watching or listening, Lord God, to have everything that needs to fade away to be able to fade away, Lord that we would draw our attention to you, even this year when we're not allowed to be out, and when we're not allowed to be doing picnics, Lord God, when we're not allowed to be gathering in the church, Lord, when we're not allowed to have this uproar of worship and praise from your houses of worship, Lord God. 
that even some of those things, Lord, that they would fade away, that we would be able to see what this really is about, Lord God, that you're alive, that you rose, that you said it is finished, that you said that you would send your spirit, Lord, that we should wait upon your spirit for power, Lord Jesus, for confirmation, for help, for hope, Lord God. Have your way in this service, Lord. Let my words be your words, Lord. I ask that you would help us, Lord, uh, to remove those distractions, to open our hearts, to open our minds this morning, to find you and to seek you in your word, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We believe that you're up to something. And we just ask that your will would be done here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I've titled the message this morning, It is finished and it has begun. It is finished and it has begun. John 19, 30, Jesus says, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The curse of sin that Adam had unleashed upon every man and woman had finally been lifted. And the cost for sin was finally paid in full. So it truly was finished. In Luke chapter 24, verse 39, this is after the resurrection. Jesus said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me. See, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Jesus tells us that this is a bodily resurrection. It's not a mirage. He says, you can handle me. You can touch me. You can see that I am actually alive and I have a body. This means that something new has begun. Easter is about death and resurrection. It's about an end and a beginning. There's so many things I want to share, but I'm going to do my best. I'm only going to share three things with you uh, this morning. I'm going to share one thing we should be careful not to do and two things we must do when it comes to Easter. So here we go. Number one, don't cling to the risen one. <gasps> Can I say that? Don't cling to the risen one. John chapter 20, verse 11. Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. So good. I really don't want us to misunderstand what I mean when I say do not cling to the risen one. Here's Mary. She's come to anoint. She's come to mourn. She's looking for a dead God that she can honor with her sacrifice. And then he reveals himself further to her. She's so excited. She goes running to him and she and Jesus says to her, do not cling to me. See, the resurrection is an essential part of the gospel. Without it, we have nothing. Paul says, matter of fact, if the dead do not rise, then Christians are pitiful. He says, we're still in our sins. 
Without the resurrection, there's no hope, right? But here's the problem. Many of us, we love to sing. We love to dance. We love to celebrate the rising without understanding what it's connected to and what it's leading to. We want to stop at the resurrection. And I don't think we can do that. Many of us think that if we believe in the resurrection, it's a done deal. We're saved. And if we can get other people to believe in the resurrection, right? Just open your mind and, and understand it's so important. It had to happen. Do you believe in the resurrection? Oh, yes. No. Okay, then you're saved. Mark it in the list. <laughs> I'm not so sure. The resurrection is the proof of the promise, not the promise itself. Let me say that again. The resurrection is is the proof of the promise, not the promise itself. I could almost see Jesus saying, Mary, don't cling to me. Don't cling to the risen one. Don't cling to this idea and this revelation of the resurrection. There's something that this is leading to. There's something that this is connected to. And it'd be so easy for you to want to just stay in this moment. But it's not enough. This is from Luke chapter 16, verse 19. It's, this is a Jesus telling a parable. He says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen. He fared sumptuously every day. But there was also a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great goal fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. What an amazing story. Rich man dies, poor beggar dies. They both go to the afterlife. Uh, this, this rich man is saying, you've got to come over here and help me. And uh, Abraham says, it's too late. He says, well, then send Lazarus back. He's got to tell my family. I don't want them to end up here. I've got five brothers. Go and tell them. And listen to the answer that the Lord gives. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. He's saying they have the scriptures. If they want to find life, if they want to find hope, if they want to find forgiveness, if they want to end up on this side instead of the side that you're on, this is where they have to go. And the man, like many of us, says, no, that's not going to be enough. What they need is somebody to go back from the dead. 
What they need is to see Lazarus. They know he was poor. They know he was a beggar. Now they can see him whole and flourishing and he can come back from the dead. They'll definitely believe. And Abraham says no. And the Lord says no. That's not how you actually believe. They won't believe even if somebody comes back from the dead if they don't believe in the words that have been said. This is what Jesus is saying to Mary when he tells her, do not cling to me. It's not just that I'm back from the dead. It's that you, you should be focusing on the things that I've said. Do not cling to the risen one. Do not put your hope in Easter. <laughs> Do not put your hope and, and, and all of your eggs in the basket of it's the resurrection. It's the resurrection day. I see the resurrected Christ. It's the confirmation of the promise. It's not the promise itself. See, belief doesn't come from seeing or knowing that one has come back from the dead. Belief, faith, salvation comes from trusting in his words. He's spoken them, they've been written, and they are confirmed in our hearts. There's something supernatural and powerful that happens inside of us from his words. At Passover, in the first communion, Jesus said, Take this bread, which is my body, and it's broken for you. And he says, Do this in remembrance of me. Every time you, you eat this bread, remember that my body was broken like I've broken this bread. Right? This is Matthew 4, 4. Jesus says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, Jesus is always telling us more and always revealing things. He's saying his body was broken for us. Then his body was actually raised for us. But if we don't live on what he says to us, we've missed the whole point. Why he had a body to begin with. Why he came to the earth in the first place, right? He's saying, yes, I am the bread of life, but you can't live on bread alone. I do have a body and it's broken for you. That body is restored and raised. But you have to live not just on that bread and just on that body, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, Jesus is Emmanuel. That means God with us. Jesus is the one that was born to die, right? And this is what I believe this morning. Jesus would say more important than believing in his resurrection is receiving what he said and that leading to you believing in your resurrection, right? He's not excited that you would say, he rose and I believe it in the core of me. I know that he rose from the dead. What makes Jesus excited is that when we understand that resurrection and we hear what he says, that we would actually believe that we too are going to resurrect, that we too have eternal life, that we too are going to live forever. It's not the whole story if we just cling to him and rejoice at the fact that he rose, if we don't understand and have faith to believe that we too are going to rise. That's why he came. He didn't need to come and die and raise from the dead for himself. <laughs> He's the eternal one. He did that so that we would understand the promise of our resurrection. So that leads me to number two, the first thing that we must do when it comes to Easter. So number one is don't cling to the risen one. Number two is we must redefine and cling to life. Redefine and cling to life. So earlier I said that uh, in the list of titles for the day, 
Resurrection Day, Happy Easter, all that good stuff. I said that it's also the day that the lamb went into the tomb, but the lion came out. Something's happened and something's changed in Jesus. Even his resurrected body began to function differently when he came out of the grave, right? So he was always man. He was always God, but he he was fully man. But when he comes out of the grave, something's changed. Something's new. All of a sudden, he's able to go from one place to another. He can teleport. All of a sudden, he can be standing next to somebody who he loved and who he healed, who followed him around, who anointed him with oil, who cried over his body, right? And he can be standing right next to her and talking to her, and she doesn't recognize who he is. Something's different about this body. Something's different about the resurrected life of Jesus compared to before he died and rose. At Easter, life itself was redefined. Something else came out of the grave, this new version of life, and it had not previously existed. This is John chapter 11, verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. See what Jesus is focused on? Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha is in the moment of tragedy. Martha is in a moment of confusion. She loves Jesus, but she's frustrated and she's angry that Jesus wasn't there and her brother has died. She has a little bit of understanding and there's a light shining on the words that Jesus has says, but it's not a fully illuminating light. So he says to her, your brother's going to rise. And she's like, yes, I know. I remember you said there's going to be a last day and then he's going to rise. But I wanted him to live now. I, can't you just ask the father? He'll bring him back if you ask. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. You don't fully understand it. You don't really understand resurrection. You don't really understand life. And you don't really understand me. The resurrection and the life. Jesus says, listen, those that believe in me, if they die, they'll live again. And if they live, they'll never die. We've read it so many times, and I think we just look over it so, so, so quickly, but it's so important what he's constantly trying to teach us. This is a new kind of life that he's offering. He ends up doing this, right? He calls Lazarus out of the grave, and, and Lazarus lives again. But what happens? Lazarus dies later. Why? Because it's not until the cross, and it's not until the resurrection of Jesus that this new form of life is birthed into the world. The life that comes out of the grave is indestructible life. I think I can take credit for that term because I haven't heard it anywhere before, but the Lord has been speaking that to me over the last few days, this idea of indestructible life. This new life and this indestructible life is a product of Jesus' death, and it did not exist before it, just like Jesus wasn't able to teleport or disguise himself before the resurrection. 
Something's new, something's changed, something comes out of the grave, a lamb goes in and a lion comes out, a version of life goes in and a new version of life comes out. There's something available to men and women before the resurrection, and there's something available to men and women after the resurrection, this indestructible life. In the beginning of the Bible, we're told that everything has a seed and it produces a certain kind of thing every single time. So you have this seed. When it's planted and it grows, a certain type of thing is going to be produced every time. If it's this seed, this type of thing is going to come from it. So the apple seed produces apples. And the man seed produces kinds of men. They vary, but they're all the same kind, right? We got short ones, tall ones, skinny ones, wide ones, dark ones, light ones, right? But they're all the same kind. The seed is the seed of man, and you get these kinds of men and women. The seed is a seed of an apple, and then you have all these different kinds, but they're all kinds of apples. So when God created man, he made us in his image, the scriptures tell us, and then he breathed life into us, but we were still a creature of the man's seed and the mankind. We're a created thing from God. It's just a different kind of seed. He says that we're his favorite seed, that we're his pride possession, right? Nothing else was created in his image, but he created us, formed us out of the dirt, it says, right? And then he breathes life into us. And every man that is produced after that is from the same seed, the man's seed, all kinds of men, but it's still the man's seed. When Jesus recreates us, we're said to be born again. And this time, we're born of a different seed. We're a different kind of man than we were before. That's the story. That's what happens at Easter. That's what the opportunity that's been given to us. This indestructible life, this new kind of man, this new kind of woman is now made available because we're no longer going to be made of the seed of man, this created thing. We have this opportunity to be born again of a new seed. John chapter 12, verse 24, this is what Jesus says. He says, most assuredly, no doubt, count on this 100%. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. The principle he's laying down is you have this grain of wheat, you have this seed, right? And if it's alive, if it's not in the ground, then it's just the one grain. He says, but if it's willing to die, if it goes into the ground and through its death, it's going to produce much grain, the same kind. The one grain is going to produce multiple grains of wheat, but it's got to die. So why Easter? What's this whole idea of death and resurrection? Why did it have to be this way? Why couldn't God just say, I'm just going to save everybody? Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus, is so that the only begotten seed and son of God could die and be multiplied and bring forth much life. He's the only son of God. He's the only begotten son of God. It says that he's the only seed that's like him. There's never been a man like him. He's born of a virgin. He's born of the spirit. This is a different kind of seed. It's not the same seed of man that we come from. And if he dies, he can produce much life, much indestructible life. 
multiply this kind of new life that did not exist before, but he's got to die. Just like the grain of wheat. When it comes to this, we can have that new life. We can have that indestructible life. It's a life that's capable of being faithful to the Father. What we learned about the man seed from Adam and Eve is that that seed is not capable of being faithful to God. It's just not capable. It doesn't have it within itself. And every time it reproduces, no matter what kind of man or what kind of woman it reproduces, they're never capable. Oh, but this new seed, (laughs) this new life, What does the scripture tell us? He's the sinless one. He was able to live his whole life, go through the temptations and the trials of what it means to be fully human, but it says without sin. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. He says, (laughs) if you believe in him, he gives us this ability to become sons and daughters of God. You are born of a new seed of the only begotten, not the will of the flesh, not the will of man, but born again, born of God. And it says that he's the example. He's Emmanuel, right? What does it say? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. In John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is the only way to become a child of God. This is the only way to become a son or daughter of God. This is the only way to gain entrance into the kingdom of God is to have this new life in you, this indestructible life, and this life that is capable of being faithful to God. Why Easter? It's not so we can sing, dance, shout, and say he is risen, it is finished. We've got to go further than that. We've got to redefine life, and we've got to cling to it. This new life is above and beyond the old life, but because it's the end of the old and the beginning of the new, right? It's easily clouded. There's so many voices. There's so many other things that are happening in this moment. Think back to uh, maybe some of the movies you guys have probably been watching lately, like The Passion or Risen, and it's, it's showing you the chaos that was going on in Jerusalem with the Jews, with the Romans, with Jesus and his followers. Think about how easily all these voices of the past, the voices of the present, these voices that are coming and beginning to gain ground for the future of the church, how easily it can cloud the truth of what Easter is all about. How easily people could miss, oh yeah, this is about life and new life and being born again and indestructible life. When you read through the scriptures, it's crazy how many times Jesus says, I've got to die. I'm going to rise on the third day. And then you keep reading and every time it says they didn't understand it. He's saying it clear, but it says that they couldn't see it. They couldn't understand it. The same thing happened 2,000 years ago 
right? Where people were kind of missing it and not understanding it and, and being distracted by other things that were going on when Jesus is, is literally dying and birthing this new life into the world. The same thing happens now. Every time somebody is coming out of death and into life, coming out of their, their past and their history in that BC and coming into the AD, Right. Every time that God is attempting to, just like he did for the Israelites, start the calendar over, start the year over, lay this new reality on top of this old reality. There's this challenge from the enemy. There's this distraction from the world where people can actually miss what it is that God is trying to do in their lives. And many people sit in churches for years and years and years and never really come to grasp it. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. It says, recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, right? So after you saw it, after you saw this new life and you began to cling to it, right? After you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. This is the convergence of the old and the new, the season where they are all converging on top of each other. They're commingling, and it's so difficult to survive. The scripture in Hebrews 10 means, remember what it was like when you were coming out of the old and coming into the new, and it wasn't like there was a ton of people to embrace you. It was a small community of people that had been illuminated, that understood what it was that you, that you were going through because they had been through it. Many of us, if we look back on the season of our salvation where our old life was still being underneath or laid on top of our new life and we were looking for help, we were looking for hope and there was nowhere to turn. People are telling us, just come to church and be excited and we're going crazy. Man, I see it in the scriptures and I remember it in my own life. Not being comfortable anywhere, not understanding why this was so real and I could see something I had never seen before, but it was so hard and I wanted to turn around. The children of Israel, if you remember when this happened to them, they had that Passover, they had the illumination, the revelation, the salvation, they head out, and then what happened? They find themselves in the wilderness, and what do they say? Moses, we want to go back. <laughs> this new reality, when we're thinking about our old reality, we could still hear the voices of the Egyptians, and we could still smell the food and the peace. We'd rather be slaves there, but we had food and we had homes than what you call free, but we're out here in this wilderness. This is the great struggle that Hebrews is talking about. This is the great struggle that I experienced, that many others have experienced. This is the great struggle that we have to, in the process of that, remove all the distractions and say, what is this about? This is about a new life. I've got to recognize that and I've got to cling to it. Otherwise, Easter is for naught. We can't afford to miss it. John 6.35, Jesus said, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, or excuse me, no one comes to the Father except through me. John 1.4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. It's all about life when you listen to what Jesus has to say. He's constantly saying, come to me, abide in me, live in me. He's inviting us into life, a new life, an indestructible life. So how do we do that? 
We do that by not stopping at the cross. We do that by not stopping at the tomb. You know, one of the things that, that is always a vivid picture in my mind is how many Christians, they, they recognize the cross and what, what it accomplishes and what Jesus did. And then there's this resurrection, but they stay in the tomb. It's like, it's not just, you can't stay in the tomb. Even though you're alive, you live as if you're dead. You live in this holding place, like that story about Lazarus and the rich man. So how do we abide in Christ, live in Christ, cling to life? We can't stop at the cross, we can't stop at the tomb, and we can't stop at the resurrection. We have to cross all the way over and into new life, into a new world, into a new reality. And when you get there, uh, there's usually not a parade. All right. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 this is what Paul says therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father even so we also should walk in newness of life you see the progression we were buried with him through baptism into death right we got the cross and we've got the tomb but just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. We've got to come out of the grave, out of the tomb, past the resurrection and reality of the resurrection and begin to walk in this new life. Paul, again, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's living. He's living in Christ, and Christ is living in him. The crucifixion, he experienced it himself just like Jesus experienced it. But not just to be raised, but to be raised in newness of life and to walk in it. They're not just words. These are the words of somebody who realizes that life has been redefined. Someone who's chosen to cling to that new life and live in it. This is my favorite new life, resurrected life, indestructible life scripture, and then we'll move on to our final point. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. So Acts 1, 2, 3. It says, Until the day in which Jesus was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus is walking around in this resurrected body, this resurrected life for 40 days. If it was all about the resurrection, a couple people would have seen it and then he would have went back to heaven, but he spent 40 days after the resurrection, right? Don't cling to this resurrected body. I've got some things I still need to speak to you and teach you and say to you. Jesus is not performing miracles during this 40 days. He's not feeding people. He's not going in and out of the temple and, and preaching and teaching in the temple, right? Something's different. <laughs> Something's different during these 40 days. What is he doing? He's talking to these indestructible lifers about the kingdom of God. He's saying, you are the first ones that I've granted to be sons and daughters, and you need to know more about the kingdom of God, your new father, and the life 
in that kingdom and what it has in store for you. Everything else that had happened before the resurrection, before the death, crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it was so that they would understand the words and the promises that Jesus was making. And now that he has already risen, right, there's no need for this confirmation, these things that he could do that you would say, believe what I'm telling you. He's saying, it's already here. I'm risen. You know that it's true. You need to go back and remember the things that I've taught you, the things that I've told you. And what I'm going to do now for this last 40 days is teach you and tell you more about the kingdom. This is where you're going. This is why I died. This is the life that you need to walk in and prepare yourself for. You are now sojourners on this world, on this earth. You're pilgrims. No matter where you find yourself in the world, that's not home. Your home is in heaven. And one day I'm going to bring you there. Matter of fact, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Why Easter? See, this part of redefining life and clinging to life, this is where we actually find the hope in Christianity. This is where we find the love and the joy and the peace that surpasses understanding, right? It's not just in this uh, abstract idea that somebody came and they died and they rose from the grave. It's, it's no, once you realize that what it created was this new life and that you can embrace that and live in it, that's where you begin to say, man, I know love in a way that I didn't know love before. I know hope in a way that I didn't know hope before. I know hope that is, is stronger than viruses. I know hope that is stronger than finances. I know hope that is stronger than separation of friends and family. I know peace that even in the midst of, of turmoil and chaos, disease and death, betrayal, I have a hope and a peace that surpasses all those things. But it's only found in the life of Christ. This indestructible life. This multiplied seed. So that leads me to my third and final point this morning. It's the second thing that we must do in regards to Easter. So number one, do not cling to the risen one. Don't stop at the resurrection. Number two, we must redefine and cling to life. And number three, we must be reconciled to God. As I was preparing for Easter... This is the first thing that God spoke to me about was reconciliation. I remember being saved and uh, I think it felt like it was the first time I'd ever heard that word. That word. It was one of those Christianese church words, reconciliation. But it just began to mean so much to me. So what is reconciliation? I never really learned when I was younger how to reconcile or what they say balance a checkbook. And I know that checks are pretty much a thing of the past, but I think the analogy makes sense here. In the back of a checkbook, you're supposed to write down every purchase that you make. And at the end of the month, you look at what you have, what your, your totals are, and you compare that to the statement that the bank sends you, right? So you can reconcile them. All of your purchases and all of your withdrawals and deposits should line up exactly to what the bank says your purchases, withdrawals, and deposits are. And you do this reconciliation. I remember hearing my parents talk about that. Hey, we've got to reconcile or uh, balance the checkbook. At that point, you either call the bank and tell them that they've made a mistake, <laughs> they owe you some money, your numbers are for sure right and theirs are for sure wrong. Or you realize that the bank 
might have missed something and they didn't actually take out everything they were supposed to take out and you're in the green you've got a little extra money and then you don't call the bank you say hey you guys got enough the idea though is that to reconcile is to get everybody on the same page you your numbers the bank and their numbers so what does it mean to be reconciled to god first it means that you sit down and you go over all of your deposits and all of your withdrawals and you see how things add up let me give you the spoiler alert right now when we do this with god this is what daniel 5 27 says you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting <laughs> no matter what math you use no matter what calculator you use no matter how detailed your notes were when we do this reconciliation with god what's been deposited what's been withdrawn right we always come up wanting we always owe right we owe we owe so off to work we go right many of us try to tell the bank you've wronged us that's what we tell god right you've miscalculated something because i'm a much better person than you're giving me credit for we begin to ask god why is it that that other members of the bank they seem to be getting uh gifts and they seem to be getting grace but all i get is overdraft fees <laughs> We start trying to work off our debt once we realize that the bank uh, is right or that the bank doesn't care and that the bank is bigger and stronger than us. I was talking to somebody about this this week that I remember when I was 16, uh, before I even got my first job at 16, and I had Bank of America. And I think I only had about $37 in there and Bank of America stole my money. And I'll never go back to them because of that. And it still hurt, Lord, please give me forgiveness. The point is that these were my options. I fought it, they were bigger and stronger, they turned out to be right, and then I went to another bank. <laughs> That's what people do with God. When you recognize that the balance sheet doesn't work out, and that you owe, that's what people try to do. Let's go to another bank, let's go to another God. Let's say that God doesn't exist, but the debt is still owed. So those of us that realize that, and we know that there's no other God, we know that there's no other bank, we come to God and we say, okay, let's work on this debt. Let's figure out how to work this thing off. I'll go to church every week. I'll give my tithe and my offering. I'll even help poor people. I'll read my Bible. And we look up after doing that for a while and we realize, man, my debt has actually increased. <laughs> There's this thing called interest when it comes to your banking. And many of us have found out the hard way that that oftentimes make it, makes it impossible to pay off our debts. We didn't think about it when we were taking and withdrawing that it was going to cost us more than we had accounted for. Another thing that happens to us as we're going through this process of trying to pay off these debts is we realize that, man, it feels as if I'm not only paying off my debt or trying to pay off my debt and we've got this interest thing and it's just getting worse and worse. What is this line item that says that somehow the debts of my mother and the debts of my father have been imputed into my account? I'm getting stuff from mom and dad. I'm getting stuff from, from grandparents. I'm getting stuff from Adam and Eve. There's no chance of paying this thing off. So how are we reconciled to God? First, we've still got to get the facts straight. And then we've got to figure out 
in this impossible situation, how can we restore what's old? That's where we find out that Jesus is the source. That's where we find out that the cross is the means of giving us what it takes to pay off our debts. But this idea, this moment of reconciliation is about you and I connecting the dots and realizing that even with a whole nother lifetime, with 10 more lifetimes, we can never repay the debt we owe, right? And it's not just at that point that we say we have to understand that Jesus can and Jesus is rich and Jesus has all the resources and he can, he can give what's, what's missing in my account into my account and I can be reconciled and right with God. It can't just be that understanding and that theory. It's got to actually get down to the dollars and cents of your life and my life, my sins and your sins and an actual accounting of what it's going to cost him to pay your debt. We can't skip that stage, right? We can understand the resurrection and not cling to the resurrected one. We can understand this new life, right? And, and desire it and try to cling to it. But if we skip this stage of being reconciled to God, sin for sin, there's a gap. There's a great goal fixed, as the story said with Lazarus and the rich man. Understanding Easter is like understanding bank balances, how they're reconciled. But being reconciled to God through Easter is a personal thing about your actual life, your actual balances. There's only one way to be reconciled to God. That's through the blood of Jesus. And everyone has to make their own decision to come under that blood. Right? You can know about the blood, but you've got to come under it. Understanding the blood is not the same as believing in it, which is not the same as being washed in it. So I'm going to close with this last scripture, and we're going to pray. Being reconciled to God. We must be reconciled. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. We give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having, been, having made peace, through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now 
he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and you are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard. The two things I love the most about this portion of scripture is this idea that it says that God has conveyed us into his love. You know, the Bible tells us that we love him because he first loved us, right? That's the picture I get when it talks about being conveyed into the love of God, is that before you even know it, you find yourself being illuminated and awakened to this God who loves you, and you literally have been conveyed into his presence. We talked about this, I think, on, on a Good Friday or maybe on, on Palm Sunday, this idea that uh, he pursues us. This idea that it's God who actually opens our eyes. Jesus says that nobody can come to him unless the Father leads him. That's the conveying, right? You get on this conveyor belt. I see the picture and we're taken to the cross. We're taken to this, this love. And then the other thing, so important here, is this idea that he says that we've been reconciled. We've been made to have peace with God through the blood of the cross. Through the body of his flesh, through death, he's presented us holy and blameless, above, above reproach in his sight. He says, but we have to continue in the faith. We have to be conveyed to the cross. We have to kneel at the cross of our own free will. We have to die with Jesus, be resurrected to this new life, this redefined life, this indestructible life, and then we have to continue to walk in the faith. Jesus says nobody putting their hands to the plow and looking back is worthy of him. Man, Easter, Easter is a timeless moment. Every day is Easter for the Christian. But it's not a moment that we can stay in. It's a moment we have to come through and can continue to walk. So I want to pray for a few things as we close. I want to pray for salvation. I want to pray that nobody misses it for, for stopping at the cross or stopping at the tomb or stopping at the resurrected one and, and clinging to him. I want to pray for salvation. Revelation 1.18, Jesus says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. He says, I have the keys of Hades and the keys of death. So amazing. He says, out with the old, in with the new. A new calendar, a new beginning, a new life is available to us. So I'm going to pray for anybody who's here, anybody who's listening, anybody who's watching, that's hoping for life, that's looking for life. Maybe you've uh, recognized that the balance sheet is not in your favor. Maybe you've recognized that the debt you owe is more than you're possibly able to pay. Maybe you've even been looking for another bank. <laughs> Maybe you've been looking for another God. Maybe you've been looking for a system that doesn't allow you or doesn't require you to acknowledge that you're a sinner. But there is no other God and there is no other truth. You are a sinner. 
We're all born into it. it. It comes from the seed of Adam and Eve. It's in your DNA. In order to connect the dots, in order to get from the cross and into this new life, we have to repent. That's the only way to come into the presence of God. That's the only way for, for his righteousness to be put into your account and to be put into my account. For us to have peace with the Father and for us to be presented holy. So wherever you are right now, if that's you, if you feel the presence of God, he says that you wouldn't be feeling it if it wasn't for him. He's the one that's conveyed you to this moment. He's the one that's brought you to where you find yourself and he's the one that has the answers. The good news is that he has already loved you and he's already died for you. He's just waiting for you to come under the blood. So Lord, we come and we repent. We are sinners. We have been weighed and found wanting, Lord God. We do need a savior. Would you please forgive us? Would you restore us? Would you reconcile us? Would you help us? Would you meet us where we are, Lord? Lord, we believe that you're the son of God. We believe that you're Emmanuel, that you're God with us. Jesus, that you came to this world to die for this world. That your desire is that nobody should perish, but that we would have everlasting life. We believe that you are the sinless one, Lord. And by dying sinless, your one sinless life can now produce many sinless lives indestructible lives lord god and we want to receive that right where we are today lord i pray for those who are praying and those who are are asking you lord that you would reveal yourself lord whether it be in this moment whether it be this week in the coming weeks the coming month lord god that you would reveal yourself through your word lord give them a passion for your word that they would search you out seek you out in your scriptures lord and that they would find you and that they would find hope, that they would find life, that they would find love, Lord. Give them the strength to endure the season that may be ahead of them, Lord. A hard season, just like the Israelites came out and they found themselves in the wilderness, Lord. They wanted to go back. They knew the road back, Lord, but you had promises that you had spoken, a promised land that was ahead of them, Lord. For your sons and daughters, Lord, who are being rebirthed and born again right now, Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength to endure and to keep moving forward, Lord God. Oh, how we need you, how we love you, Lord. Lord, finally, I wanna pray just for this Easter. Like the first one, this one for us is different than <laughs> any other Passover we've experienced, Lord God. In this nation and in the world, Lord, we haven't quite seen something like what we're seeing right now. I pray that that newness, I pray that that uh, uncertainty lord draws us closer to you lord that we might find something new in you that you might make something uncertain clear and certain for us lord i ask that you would bless all the families that you would bless all the mothers and fathers the grandparents the kids lord god that you would just be who you are be who you are lord we love you we thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.
Jesus.